Welcome to the Life in Deep Ellen podcast, exploring the sacred in art, faith, and community. Today, it's the second Sunday of Easter. How many of you grew up knowing about Eastertide? Knowing there are is it six? I think six Sundays of Easter because there's 40 days between Resurrection Sunday and Pentecost. That's a whole season. Jesus shows up. He does like this. He like talks to them. He hangs out with them. They're like, what are you doing here? He's like, I don't have any answers for you. He leaves. They're walking around talking to each other, confused, but still like loving the fact that like, oh, we were right. And then eventually they all gather together on uh, Pentecost Sunday. So we're going to have some amazing things going on um, in that season. We've got some things planned with our youth, some things planned with our kids. And so we're going to have fun, which is what like, hey, like we just got through celebrating like Jesus Super Bowl, Resurrection Sunday. We were right. He's the Messiah. Like, come on, what are you doing? It's also a very confusing time because we were right. He's the Messiah. Some people still don't believe it. He disappears again. Y'all, this is dramatic. And so we're also going through a little bit of drama ourselves. We are in the middle of the horizon. But are we in the middle? Because that's the thing about the horizon. Like scientifically, the definition of a horizon is it keeps moving. So like you think you're halfway there and then it keeps moving. And then it keeps moving. When are we going to get there? We're not quite sure. We believe we're close. We believe this journey that we have been on um, almost a year. I've been serving as the interim pastor, executive director here for almost a year. We've healed. We've gone through our history and told our story and begun to sort of wrestle with what is our place, not only in God's story for the world, but in God's story for Deep Ellum. And now we're moving towards our future. The pastoral search team is making good progress. We are moving along. And so the Easter season, the season of resurrection, you know, and abundance, there's awe and joy. And you're really just like, can all this really be happening at the same time? How many of you feel like there's so much happening at the same time? <laughs> We're re-emerging from COVID. Like there's birthday parties and happy hours and weddings and you're actually supposed to go. You don't just put on a cute top with your pajama pants and log in like five minutes beforehand. Like you have to think about commuting. Do you now know that all major highways in Dallas are undergoing construction? I don't know. Did they think they were going to finish it before COVID was over? I don't know what is going on, (sighs) but it's a lot and it feels like that. And so the astonishing excitement of the Easter season, the anticipation of a church yet to come, like y'all, did they write the Bible? Did God know that we were going to be here? Did they know we were going to be going through this? It seems like it. I don't know. There's all kinds of beliefs about that, right, here at Life in Deep Ellum. And so this Easter Tide, our series focuses on the greatest gifts of the season. There are gifts, even in this season. No, not just sinus infections. There is the gift of Jesus, but also the gift of you. So this series called God Gave Me You. God gave us in this Easter Tide season both Jesus and Yes, look at your neighbor. God gave you that person. 
Yes, even if as an introvert, like I do, I sit on that row, there's no one on that row. If you just follow your gaze all the way to the other side of the room next to a person you did not sit next to, guess what? God gave you them too. Yep, God did. And so this Easter tide, we're going to move through the book of Acts to the establishment of the church on the day of Pentecost. So there is so much to learn and experience, but right now we're going to turn our Bibles. If you have them with you, or if you need one, we can get you one. If you want a printed Bible, just raise your hand, cast your eyes. If, um, if you're going to be on your electronic device, or if you have your own Bible, we're going to start in Acts chapter one. So if you need a Bible, Chad's back there, just let him know. We're going to start in Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in the few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the dates or the times the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After Jesus said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up in the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said. Why do you stand there looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, not that one, Judas, the son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Siblings, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language Akeldama. That is, field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us. 
beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men. Joseph, called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the eleven apostles. Hmm. May God add a blessing to the hearing of his word. That's a lot. I mean, like, Jesus shows up. He's, like, eating with them. He, like, descends, like, moonwalk style into, like, a cloud. Then the angels show up and, like, ask them, like, what they're looking at. Like, what do you mean I'm, what am I looking at? Like, a cloud. Like, he just left on a cloud. And then they tell this story that sounds like, you know, zombie movie about what happened to the other Judas. And then they've, like, well, so now someone's got to lead us because apparently Judas was like the leader. Like Judas had been like voted the head of the committee, but now he's dead. So now we need like another. And they're like, we don't have time. Here's the two people vote now. What? Cast your lots. Y'all, this is a lot. It'll blow your mind. A lot is going on. So let's walk through it. So Jesus presents himself to the disciples. He's living, right? And as they, he tells them not to leave until the gift that they were promised arrives. But then when they ask him what the gift is, he doesn't tell them exactly (laughs) what the gift is or when to expect it. He's like, I don't have any, I have no answers for you. Cloud. What we do know is that as Jesus describes the gift in verse 5, for John, the bapt- for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from this one. And then in verse 12, it talks about the, those that are left returning to Jerusalem, right? Because Jesus says you need to stay in Jerusalem, by the mount called Olives, Right? And that it's near enough to Jerusalem that it only took like a Sabbath day's journey. So depending on like weather, season, time of year, right? Because all of this stuff varies geographically. A Sabbath day's journey could be like one third of a mile, two thirds of a mile. But we're not quite sure. And so what we do know is that Not only were the apostles taking this journey, but there were women taking the journey because Mary's there and some of the other, right? They talk about some of the other folks, which then means there's probably children there because the original Greek in verse 14 is inclusive. It's not just men. So it's not just Peter and Paul and James, right? So we're talking about a group that looks something like this. Bring in live kids. So we've got Towns and Adrian running in circles while Jesus floats away on a cloud. 
And these guys are over here casting lots. So think like straws or stones to figure out not it on who's now going to get everyone to go two thirds of a mile to the place that Jesus said, go wait for this gift. What's the gift? Oh, by the way, you'll know it when you see it. Okay. So what we see in this story is that even as Jesus reveals himself further, that doubt is still prevalent in the community. And so it talks about in verse one, the writer says, you know, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. Not the day he was crucified, but the day he was taken up to heaven. And so after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen, that Jesus had chosen. So Jesus is taken up to heaven after giving instructions, instructions that are still unclear, but instructions that are clear about one thing. Go to this place and I will give you the Holy Spirit. So they're commanded not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the gift. This thing called the Holy Spirit that they'd never experienced before. So among the disciples and those that were close followers and beloveds of, beloveds of Jesus, there's still doubt. They're still trying to figure this thing out, but they get there. The women, the children, the animals, the apostles, they make this trek. They're somehow able to choose a leader even amongst that ambiguity. What is the leader going to do? I don't know. Will you sign up? Do you want to lead us? Lead us where? Do you want to lead us? Do what? But somehow the spirit still guided them, despite the fact that this horizon was going and going, still guided them to make a choice. A choice that even though they had doubts about what they were supposed to do when they get there, that led them in the face of Jesus's absence once again into more intimacy rather than defensiveness. See, what we know about the writer of Acts is that he will tell you when messiness is going on among the people. <laughs> and so to say that they made it to the Mount of Olives, they made it to the place that God, that Jesus told them to go to wait for the gift all together means that though they had doubt there was also intimacy present. See, Jesus came and was with them when he didn't answer their questions. And somehow that was still enough. And though they didn't know what they were going to wait for, they knew that even in their closeness, even as they walked through their doubts with Jesus and then ultimately with one another, that with grace and care, love and discernment, intimacy would be there. Their bonds would go closer. Where they cast lots and the Holy Spirit was like, this is your leader. That as they expressed more of those doubts and found themselves being close with one another. I mean, 
you're making a trek two-thirds of a mile with women, children, and babies. I'm pretty sure there wasn't indoor plumbing. And so what they find, though, is that even in their doubts, as they find closeness with one another, that they still have needs. In verse 9, it reads, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. So Jesus is taken up before their very eyes, and a, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back to you in the same way. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter and John, James, Andrew, the list goes on. They all joined together constantly at prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, with his siblings. They still found themselves having to pray for things. So Jesus has told them where to go, but not exactly how long they'll be there. He said that specifically what's going to happen, you're going to get the gift of the Holy Spirit. But nobody really knows what the Holy Spirit is. And so though they're together, and that can help sort of soothe their doubts, they still have needs. They still have to figure out how to be together and take care of one another. The reason why a Sabbath day's journey varies is not only because of the weather, but because of the people you're traveling with. To be with each other, to have our needs met when we're with each other. If someone gets thirsty, you give them something to drink. If someone needs to rest, you let them rest, but you don't let them rest on their own. Even when they needed to make a decision, they were like, here's two people, like, let's figure it out. Which harkens back to the Old Testament stories about how God sent both people out, two by two, right? And even in the gospel. And so where there is need, there's also mutuality, which is the sharing of feelings, actions, relationships between two or more folks. So the consequences of mutuality, of meeting our needs in community, is responsiveness, empathy, care, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. When we find ourselves together in community, meeting each other's needs, all of a sudden we begin to bear this fruit amongst each other these feelings towards one another. How exactly does that happen? I mean, if I told you that taking a road trip with Tamitha and me in the car, that we got closer, you'd kind of be like, y'all didn't kill each other? It would seem human nature would be we would end up at odds with one another. But somehow... Even amongst doubt, when you add intimacy and mutuality in the presence of faith in Jesus, these fruit 
start to bear. Fruit that we eventually know as the fruit of the Spirit. Oh, Jesus, where does the Spirit come from? What is the Spirit you think of? I can't really tell you off on a cloud. Go to the mountain together. See, though there is need, it would seem amongst human that need would create desperation and divisiveness and despair. Yet it doesn't have to. It's possible for mutuality to bear fruit if you're fully present. Presence. In verse 15 of Acts 1, we read, In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture has to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. Where mutuality evokes presence, presence bears the fruit of the Holy Spirit. See, even in serving the government and not God. Judas makes plain a need amongst the people. The need not only for trust, but for leadership. And so they find themselves casting lots for the first time as a community together since prior to Jesus's presence. Remember the last time we hear a story of people following Jesus casting lots is when he's asleep in the ship and they're like, why is the storm here? Whose fault is it? And so now in the absence of Jesus, they've got to figure out how to make a decision about leadership. They know they have these needs and they know they have each other. And as they make this journey to go get what it is that Jesus said they will find there, as they care for each other and are present with one another, the fruit of the Spirit and the presence of the Holy Spirit emerges. In verse 20, it reads, First, Peter said, It is written in the book of Psalms, May his place be deserted. Let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us. Beginning from John's baptism to when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us. Not for us, not of us. With us. Of his resurrection. The funny thing is, so they had doubts, and Jesus sort of pushed them together into intimacy. They had needs, and rather than just providing, Jesus creates a situation where they have to care for one another. And then when they have questions about who will lead, Jesus makes them work together. He floats away on a cloud. You think, you know, he could have just like, you know, like those bank teller things. (laughs) 
Like Jesus goes up on the cloud, then Jesus sends back down the leader. Like it could have just been like you send up your withdrawal slip, they send back down the money. That's not what Jesus did. In verse 23, it says they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. See, the thing about it was, this like I preached last Sunday, they didn't just have hopes for Jesus being the Messiah. They had been arrested together. They had had to figure out how they were going to eat with five loaves a number of times together. They had hopes for everyone that had been with them along the journey, including Judas, who, as the story ends and the Holy Spirit is left with us, they can only give themselves, they only have enough courage to say, he left to go where he belongs. We've got to move on. And so they cast lots and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the 11 apostles. I know we want answers to our questions. We want a three point sermon. We want bullet points. But the questions that we have about how to be with one another how to get through seasons where we have to climb mountains and hills, (laughs) questions about which direction to go to reach the horizon. Jesus's answer to that was to make them work together. Collaboration. Christ is risen. It's still news. It's still new news. It's still good news. It's still unimaginable news. In Acts and throughout the gospel, Jesus visits visits his friends and family to comfort them, assuring them, maintaining his pastoral role, though earth and heaven have been shaken momentously. Jesus breathes onto them as he leaves the breath of God and gives them the Holy Spirit. Strength and companionship for the journey ahead. I know many of us grew up either adjacent to or within charismatic backgrounds where the spirit looks like loud music and dancing and crying. But what if it looks like a stop at Bucky's to go to the bathroom? What if it looks like I saved you the last fruit snack? What if it looks like we might be in this meeting a long time, so I got you a cup of water? Jesus is confirming his resurrection to them, appearing to his disciples, not merely to submit a doctrine, y'all, but to comfort their hearts. To comfort their hearts. The Easter season gives us an experience with the Trinity. God the Father, God creator, God incarnate, Jesus, redeemer, Messiah, and God with us, the breath of God. 
the Holy Spirit, our comforter. The Easter season is about letting go of those things that are intended to die, to let them lay dead, and that those things that are meant to be reborn and resurrected, those things meant to rebloom, to let them have their way as well. Jesus did not invite us to remain together to talk about Jesus. In this story, in the first chapter of Acts, Jesus left them, and I believe Jesus left us together, to journey toward the horizon. Not with answers, but with each other. And the comforter. So in our doubting and our discerning, we can do hard things together. Moving if and with the Spirit.